delivering all the news, the informed views, and just telling great motorsport stories since 2003. Powered by the Racetalk.com. This is On the Grid. everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid here on mypodcasthouse.com or on the Radio Show Limited's RS1. Thank you for joining us. Massive week for us down here in Australia. Of course, it is Formula One Grand Prix week in Melbourne. Big preview of that coming up a little bit later on with Richard Crail, Mark Walker and Dale Rogers to join me to have a look at uh, what we can expect throughout the four days of the Grand Prix down here at Albert Park. We'll also have a chat to Dean Herridge and talk to him about the Australian Rally Championship, which had its first round last weekend. And uh, we'll also talk to him about his fantastic career as well. Before we get into all that, though, let's have a listen to Team 18 driver Scott Pye. He'll be running a brand new livery, a Hino livery, at the Australian Grand Prix. We'll get his thoughts on that and also the new layout at Albert Park. Here's Scott. We are very fortunate at Team 18 to have such iconic brands and as the driver as well to get to represent these brands it's fantastic to have Hino on the car at the Melbourne Grand Prix is a very special feeling and uh, hopefully we're racing up the pointy end and uh, we can get a great result for them. Getting the opportunity to race on the F1 calendar is something that's very special to all of us drivers and the circuit itself is unbelievable I think. This year I'm really excited about heading back there and seeing what it's like with the upgrades they've made. Whether or not there'll be more or less overtaking I don't know yet, that's yet to be seen but for us as drivers it's just an amazing opportunity to be racing on the F1 calendar. Every weekend we try and build on what we had the previous weekend, so heading into the Grand Prix I feel like we made some good progress at, at uh, Simmons Plains. We had a great start to the year with pace but we weren't able to convert in Sydney, but to do that at Simmons was great and I think going into the Grand Prix we're feeling pretty confident and uh, for sure to have Hino on board we're really hoping we can get a great result. It's going to be an interesting format this weekend, we've got four 20 lap races and in each race we have to use two compounds, the hard and the soft tyre four qualifying sessions and they're only 10 minutes each so it's going to be extremely important for each driver to nail their lap. If we make a mistake you're more than likely going to be down the back of the field so in 10 minutes you'll get one crack at it and hopefully we stick it up the pointy end. All right time to get straight into the show. You're listening to the latest from around the motorsport world on the grid. All right as always kicking off the show off the top with me is Richard Crowell from theracetalk.com. Hello Crowley. Hello Tony how are you? I'm marvellous, mate. Are you uh, looking forward to jumping on that big bird and getting down here for the Grand Prix? I've never looked forward to going to Melbourne more than I am as we speak right now. It's going to be sensational. Uh, Just the scope of the event, sellout crowd, Formula One being what it is at the moment, fiercely competitive and everything else built in around it. It's going to be a great weekend. Can't wait to get stuck in and, and see Albert Park again for the first time in what will be 753 days, yeah. I think it, it works out to, since the 13th of March, 2020. Quite amazing it is. And it seems like all categories right around Australia are coming back online, including the Australian Rally Championship, which is hopefully going to have its first full season for the last three. Yeah, rallying like everything else has been COVID interrupted and, and in many ways rallying probably hurt more than a lot of the circuit racing uh, categories because it's such a broadly spread, diverse championship in all corners, and especially Shebeck's WA, which has got such yeah. a strong rallying culture, and it's where our first guest this week comes from. Certainly is. His name is Dean Herridge, uh, has been driving for Jewish 28 years. It was a driver 28 years ago when he first started. Now pretty much does a lot of media and commentary work, which and he does it quite well. Dean, welcome to our humble little podcast. 
Thank you, guys. Happy to be on. And I think, in short, that just means we're getting old. Is that correct? <laughs> yes, uh, it does. Can you remember back to that first race 28 years ago? Uh, yes, with fond memories, actually. And uh, obviously, I'm still involved technically with the family business, etc. So it's funny how it evolves. You know, we you, every spare cent you had and driving opportunities and you drive the thing out of the, out of the driveway. And nowadays, I'm doing all the things I can to avoid hopping in a roll cage car that's hard to get in and out of and doesn't give me enough room, et cetera. So, uh, no, no, it's been absolutely awesome to, like I said, have access to, one, have a career out of it, still be involved with Subaru myself from a corporate point of view. And then, of course, our family business, um, you know, we're involved. So, very fortunate. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about your life story a little bit later on, Dino, but I want to touch base on what happened on the weekend, the opening round of the uh, Motorsport Australia Rally Championship. It was a really competitive rally in the the fast forests of Canberra. Dusty at times, wet at other. The obvious um, the obvious talking point is Shane Van Gisbergen. We'll get to that in a minute. But just tell us a little bit about the rally as a whole and how it played out and how good it must have been to get back into the forests uh, for an ARC round. Ah, uh, brilliant! Um, best field, both in depth, cars, quality, former champions, you know, young up and comers. For probably 15 years, I would have thought. Um, so that was exciting in itself. So I think, you know, we've been starved of it, as you guys said at the top of the podcast, in regards to just not getting a full championship up. It's a little bit of deja vu. Although we've never had a championship up, Canberra has actually run both years. So we yeah. want to continue on, obviously, to round two. So we were there last year. It was supposed to be round one, and we, we snuck Queensland in before we sort of the whole thing got shut down. So, but Canberra is notorious for being quite a car breaking, you know, the attrition of that event. Uh, I don't know, it doesn't seem to matter as much as we keep talking about and all the competitors do it, always trap somebody. Um, our series is broken up into endurance and, I guess, sprint-style events. Um, Canberra falls towards the, the endurance side, meaning you've got to bank both days. So it's not always about you know speed per se. It's about trying to bank an overall result. So you could be going sensational for 12 out of the 13 stages, and if you, you fall out of that point, you, you can end up with zero points. So you sort of bit of strategy, a bit of skill, a bit of uh, organisation comes into trying to maximise your points, uh, where other rounds you can sort of bank come Saturday night. You bank those points, and we all start off you know, square on Sunday. So, mm. um, yeah, lots of storylines. And like I said, the great news for us is the just the quality of the cars and the, and the drivers and the up-and-coming. So there's a real great feel around the sport. We've got some great commercial partners on board. Um, so it was just, yeah, awesome to be there. And as you touched on, um, tricky conditions. There's no, it's very difficult to get perfect conditions in rally. Don't <laughs> yeah. get me wrong. It's either heavily dusty or generally muddy. There's about a, probably a half an hour window in the middle there. But uh, we literally had four seasons in a day on a tricky event, and then that just added to the storyline. Well, the two major storylines, of course, from the weekend were the fact that Harry Bates continued pretty much where he left off, the defending Australian champion and took a nice win. The other story, of course, was Shane Van Gisbergen. And the headline on auto action stunned me to an extent where the headline said, Shane Van Gisbergen stuns the rally world. I don't know if anyone would have been that stunned that Shane Van Gisbergen can actually drive a rally car good. <laughs> it's what he does. He drives yeah. anything good. You're right. I think no one's surprised that he can steer a car. And I wasn't surprised at Shakedown the season launched two weeks ago that he was doing times in and amongst Lewis and Harry. Uh, that's no surprise. He got a great car. He was doing well. He's got a right co-driver. He's smart enough to put all those things together. The difficult part to do in our sport is the linking up of the pace notes and committing to notes and new sections of road. I, so every corner is different. 
So even when at the opening stage of the rally, he would have been nervous. He was seated car 11. It was a four-odd or seven-odd kilometre stage. He did a good base time. I thought even then, oh, okay, you could probably have looked at that on videos, etc. Impressive for me. Stunt's probably too heavy a word, but the next stage it was 20 kilometres. And for the time that he put in, for the fact that he has limited pace note experience. So, yes, he can steer. Yes, we know he's fast. But out of the whole field, out of the top gun teams and particularly people who finished sort of inside of the top ten, I think about the only car that didn't have damage mm. is in his first rally. Yeah. He dealt with one of the trickiest events we had that we keep talking about um, in mixed conditions. It wasn't just all dusty. He didn't have a road advantage, etc. So I think it's just a very impressive drive and it just speaks volumes about how good he is in regards to, like you said, he's won the 12-hour. He does endurance stuff. He's V8 Supercar champion. He's awesome in the wet. That all bodes well. But it's a bit like, you know, Neil Bates can clearly drive or a possum born. It's like getting them to go to the Bathurst 1000 and almost sticking it in the top five on qualifying day, yeah. you know, on the top 10 shootout. That's sort of how significant it is. So it's not, it's not so much the fact that he can steer over the course of a couple of kilometres and string together a couple of stages. That probably was expected. But to put a whole rally together and be first time fully on notes in a car that fast and then be less than like a minute and a half behind the champion, um, that's impressive. I, I was at the airport on the Sunday night leaving and caught up with a good mate of mine, former champion Scott Petter, and yeah. he said, Dean, can you remember a more impressive sort of debut from anyone? And we both said, probably not. It was pretty specky. Just the, off the, the back of then, then, sorry, Dean, was the other impressive, the, did you watch his drive throughout the whole weekend and did you notice him make any mistakes or was it a fairly faultless weekend right throughout? Oh, he had a couple of close calls that could have yeah. ended his rally, and as did most of the field. And that's what I'm saying. Harry did as well. Who's you know he's the he's the guy to beat at the moment. And he's the has won the championship several years ago. And he's driving sensationally well. You watch the attitude of the car, etc. Here's an example of what I think is impressive about Shane when you speak to him. So he's on his you know he loves rally. He's brought up around it, so it's not new to him either. He get on because it's an endurance style of event. He gets you get reseeded uh, on the road. So he started like I said tenth on the road on the Saturday. A few guys moved out. He probably was seventh on the road come the end of that first day. Had to deal with a bit of dust and mud, et cetera. On the next day, he's now seated two. So he's only got mm. one car in front of him. So most people are going, well, that's, you know, how did you treat that? How was it? You know what his comment was? Oh, I loved it. You know why? <laughs> I was watching Harry's marks. I could yeah. see where he was braking. Right. I could see that when I could see more than two tracks that he was sideways and he was looking at That's just the mark of someone who just must have this unbelievable uh, ability to look and learn and just so quickly. Where most of us would have gone, oh, it's much smoother or less drama. And I saw a couple of Harry's marks go wide or in the loose. He's looking for that. And I go, wow, to absorb all the things of the rally and the pressure and a fast car and all this co-driver information that he's probably not fully aware of. But then to be going, I enjoyed it more because I now was learning off Harry, who's the guy to beat. And I'm watching his marks on these road services. I thought... Yeah, wow, this guy's got it together to try and maximise any car he's in at any point where I reckon I could have mentioned that to some other people who were experienced in motorsport and have a crack at rallying and not even really thought about what it meant to be second on the road in a rally. Mm. The the thing that struck me about it was that, okay, so you finished second, sure, there was some, you know, you mentioned the endurance round, there were some DNFs, you go, okay, well, did he sort of luck into a podium finish? But then when you look at the results, he was only a minute and 26 overall behind Harry Bates, who's... Clearly one of the better drivers of the last 10 years, possibly in our sport. But it, it was when he was he was beating Brendan Reeves on stages. He was beating Eli Evans, who's an absolute gun on stages. He won the power stage. So it wasn't even the fact that he 
he lucked or or was aided into that position. It was done on raw speed as well. And at the end of the rally, the only guy that was consistently quicker than him was Harry Bates, who's the reigning champion. Uh, and ultimately, Shane was fastest because he won the power stage at the end of the rally as well, which is remarkable. I, I want to get your take on Harry Bates, though, Dino, because you, you mentioned the increasing competition, and I mentioned some names there, and it was great to see those guys, especially Eli, I think, back in the field. Because if there's been an asterisk next to the name of Harry Bates, which I don't think there has, it's that the competition perhaps hasn't been quite as strong as it could have been. So how good is Harry? And will he prove how good he is having guys like Eli Evans and Scott Petty, you mentioned, and Brendan Reeves and even Shane perhaps in the field? Will that only enhance his reputation as being one of the fastest guys out there? Yeah, I think you're right because you've got a mark against everybody else. And I think he was probably looking forward to the challenge for that exact reason. As you say, when the, you know, there's been probably events in the past where the field's strong, but you lose a couple of key competitors. He's now just trying to finish. He's trying to bank points. It's not really helping his craft if he wants to take it further to Europe or wherever it might be where you've got to be on the money for the whole you know, three days of a WRC. The bit for me, though, is that, yes, I think it does help speak volumes and give us some identity on how quick he is. You know, to the defence of someone like Eli Evans and Brendo, Brendo's in an R5 car that took him a day or so to sort out, and then you saw him go quicker on day two. Mm. You know, Eli's back after three years in a mini that was sort of underdeveloped and, you know, brand new back, and I thought they were both doing a pretty amazing job. Yeah. You know, SVG hopped into a fully sorted car crew and co-driver combinations. There's absolutely nothing to do. I think you'd be lucky to change a couple of clicks and sort it out and just send it and enjoy driving the car. Um, but you can see from the vision that we get on how committed Harry's driving is and how well he's working with John McCarthy and that car's clearly sorted out. We questioned when they first debuted that sort of GA Yaris back sort of several years ago, they almost gave up a potential championship, we thought, you know, back in sort of, we're talking, oh, I forget the years now, 2017, 18, because they bought that on mid-year. And like yeah. most things, they had a few teething issues. I think didn't even sort of turn too many wheels in anger at the Rally of Adelaide. But now they're getting a reward for that. The tricky part for Harry when I spoke to him at the beginning of the year was, you know, he probably could have won three Australian championships by now, but he's not bothered by that. He's banked one. He clearly loves being a professional driver. He's got great support from his partners and particularly Toyota. What is next for him, though? He'd obviously no doubt at his age and the speed he's going is would be aiming to try and get to Europe at some point. It's a really difficult environment at the moment, particularly the last couple of years to do that. So I think his frustration is probably more about, yes, I think he's got the speed. Yes, I think he is the... He's, he's up there. Like at the end of the day, you could get a match fitch anybody in a similar car and they're going to struggle to beat Harry Bates at the moment. So uh, it's it's like I said, it's good that he gets that, you know, we get great competition. But I absolutely, from watching on board, talking to him, his attitude, you see the car and you compare that to shots of others and the commitment early in stages and rallies is uh, he, he's on the money for sure. So he's got the goods. He could go to Europe, uh, no worries, and represent us very well, which hopefully he does. I don't know what his plans fully are, but uh, no, no, he's uh, he's not lucking in it anyway, that's for sure. Yeah. And do you know how much of an advantage was him to have a guy like uh, Glenn Weston, in a, a veteran co-driver next to him? For sure. Yeah. Mm. I actually said to, yeah, to Shane, you're in a very unique position. You can clearly drive. You love rallying. You've got a car that's second-tier WRC car, you know, it's an R5 your Favre, it's fully sorted, ready to go. Um, you know, the, you've got a control tyre on board and you've got a fantastic car. The only bit he doesn't have is pace and experience. So he's not writing his own notes yet. If he wanted to, you know, try and forge a career in rallying, 
the trick is you can't necessarily go and buy notes everywhere and adjust them as you go. You've got to make notes. And that's the bit that we think is the hardest put together. So in a way, it's pretty impressive that he's bought, you know, got the, the supplied notes, so to speak, enhanced them with Glenn's help, learned how to understand them. And then if he continued on, he'd probably want to refine that over time and make them SDGs pace notes. It's like a different language, et cetera. So he's also smart enough to know that he wanted to put all those things and all those pieces of the puzzle together before he went and had a crack at it. So absolutely one of the key parts of that puzzle was Westo, um, who I think was knew where he was coming from, was spectacularly patient with him, making sure he was getting the right information. So absolutely, you know, I think he termed it that there's another guy driving the car in this and it's, it's Westo, you know, Glenn, mm. and he needed someone like him on board. So, um, uh, yeah, it's, it makes for just a cool storyline. I, I don't think, like I said, we knew he'd be fast. Would he be fast or fragile? Who knows? Would he make a mistake? But uh, he strung it all together. Look, it's great for our sport because he brings some eyeballs to Australian rallying that we maybe wouldn't necessarily have. He's got his own support around the place, so we're seeing lots of comments coming around. So, to be honest, it's a good news story. There's no one in our sport that's uh, um, you know, not happy to have him involved for all those reasons, and absolutely hats off to him. I think come Sunday night, we've all gone, well, it wasn't a flash in the pan. We know he loves the sport. His dad rallied. He grew up idolising Boston Bourne and had posters on his wall. So he was almost living out a dream in a way. And like you said, bank the power stage harry hasn't been beaten in a power stage uh at the end of the rally since its inception yeah and he, although he's leading and had a lot to defend and not wanting to throw it away it's it's pretty impressive it wasn't a 2k memorized super stage it was a 10k run they did do earlier in the day and to come through and win the stage and just fully commit to that uh is pretty impressive and westo to go one step further and not to harp on about obviously one guy in the whole event but Westo said, already I could close my eyes and I would think I'm sitting with one of the, you know, senior or former champs that I've been with. Uh, Yeah, from that point of view in regards to, you know, the feel and the commitment to the notes. uh, So that speaks volumes from someone who's very experienced as well. Of course, it should be mentioned too, Richard, that he was driving for the race talk team. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I still don't know. I still don't know who had that name first. Actually, to be honest. <laughs> so, well, we'll do some. Uh, we'll, we'll look into that point, mate. Over here, we know the guy that raced on you in WA team. Mate, I'm happy to share. It's fine. Uh, West Glenn Weston. He was Scott Petter's co-driver, wasn't he? Yes, Scotty indeed. Early on, mm. he was unlucky enough to co-drive for me in Target's has. Yep. Yeah. Um, but yep. Scotty never won a championship with Scotty, although he was with him a long time through the Mitsubishi days. Yeah, but yeah. he scored. Uh, all the championships with Eli Evans. So he was That's a long time right. with Eli yes. when they were winning yep. championships and stuff. So, uh, But been around a, a long time before that, there's almost like a Queensland mafia of co-drivers. Yeah. So they all, <laughs> you know, lots of Australian champion co-drivers come out of Queensland. They all protect themselves. You know, John McCarthy, all these other names, Mark Stacey, et cetera, all from, uh, from the uh, banana state. Hey, mate, what about you? You're still involved heavily. You're involved in the broadcast on 7 Mate, which is great. You're involved with the championship itself, which is fantastic. Uh, Maximum Motorsport still flat out, I see, over there in the West and with a fleet of Subarus running in rallies all around Australia. I know you do a lot of tarmac rally stuff as well through that. Um, but but what about you? Do you sit back at a rally and watch these guys tip these things into a corner and... There's dirt flying everywhere, and you can see that they're having an awesome time. Do you sit back and go, "Oh, gee, I could, I could get back into, I could get back into this, I could drive again"? I think I used to. Now I sit back and go, "Holy shit, how would you beat that?" Look, I've had, I've had my time in a way. I, I think there'd be other ways for me to go and drive. I mean, I still do a lot of drive days and launch days for Subaru. We were doing stuff at the Subi Nats not long ago, so I do get an outlet, which is pretty cool. 
I think because I'm in and amongst the high level, you know, the highest level, all these teams and people at ARC level, I enjoy that. That's the part that I play. Um, you know, we're running teams. I think because I'm immersed in it, I'm not looking for an opportunity to go and make my life harder and have a run. You know, where does that, <laughs> what's the motivation, I guess, is the word we use here, to mm. spend the money and to, you know, win a championship or a rally. You're going to be under pressure to basically win, depending what series you're doing, et cetera. So I think other parts of our business have, um, you know, taken our attention and, you know, we're, we're running the likes of Max McRae at the moment, who obviously comes with a lot of interest from yeah. particularly the UK and Europe. And obviously his dad, you know, they live in Perth and obviously we've, we've uh, joined up with them with a bit of Subaru support and trying to cut his teeth. So I think the enjoyment at the top levels coming from all these other involvements and, and all the tipping points you're talking about, um, maybe people tell me it's supposed to be fun. It seems like when it becomes <laughs> a profession, the fun not goes out, but there's pressure. Yeah. Uh, I've touted that you know the old man's still got his 1991 championship winning legacy. It's going Does to happen. Does he really? Yeah, it's in the shed. We, we're collecting too many cars, guys. I don't. Not on purpose. They just sort of find us uh, in the Subaru ranks, being a Subaru specialty company, and that's we we blue bleed uh, we bleed blue blood. We say, but it's going to get the old team Subaru livery, the sort of uh, blue splashes down the oh, side, right? Nice. In the next sort of two months, and I've I've threatened that maybe I'd go and have a drive with my daughters who are getting older because when you Driving professionally, the kids are probably two and four and probably don't really care, et cetera, and they've yeah. made mention to go, oh, it would be cool to go in a rally car and have an experience. So maybe they take the pressure off while well, granddad's still around. We'll take that car out and do a rally sprint and let them have a crack at co-driving. And Brilliant. Uh, the red mist will go, it will come up, no doubt. And, uh, <laughs> there's talk about maybe we try and do something around safari rallies and stuff. Obviously, you know, once dad stopped doing sort of tarmac and particularly gravel rallying himself, he... We put our hand to running Subarus, ironically. I think he would have run anything, but I talked him into mm. running a Subaru. And I think then the experience comes in and the drive and the car knowledge comes into those long-distance events. And he's been at me for ages to go, you should drive in it, you, you do a good job. And maybe we try and have a couple of cars run in a safari rally or two. But it's, there's so much going on and cool things that I'm happy to be involved in that at the moment, uh, am I missing it? I guess the rawness of it, yes, but uh, in a way there's lots of other cool stuff happening. Dino, as I was just looking back on your career, I noticed that you were so successful throughout Australia, New Zealand, and also through Asia, but there seemed to be a little bit of a, a gap in that, and it was a, a tour of Europe. Was there ever an opportunity to do a good stint in Europe as a driver, or did that just never present itself? Um, my best chance, would you believe, would have been back early in my career before I even sort of formed up with Subaru, and I had a chance to go to the UK, and I tested with Renault, who were running professional Renault uh, touring car teams in the British Championship, uh, both and then a gravel team as well, uh, in these sort of Renault McGann kick cars, which would have been cool. And I was cutting my teeth in front-wheel drive at the time. So I got an opportunity to go across there and I tested with the team. They put me through a zip karting test, would you believe? I was uh, running around all day with Gary Pafford at the time, who was oh, just yeah. a young guy. Yeah. And um, they put you through all those paces to get a report from zip karting to go, all right, could this guy qualify to do a test in our cars and be yeah. someone we'd look at? Uh, I got the tick of approval to go back later in the year to test and probably a month or two prior to, you know, going back to sort of give my chance of having a drive, uh, Renault pulled all their motorsport involvement and you go, right, we've gone down the wrong path. So um, it's, it, Europe's tough for Australians, particularly with the budgets that are required. Um, but you'll also see now that our cars are probably getting a little closer in regards to R5 cars dripping through. We, for a long time, been production-based. That's where, obviously, Subaru and Mitsubishi, we've been you know, strong enough that we could win probably production world rally uh, championships and things, but it was probably a step too far to try and then probably go to WRC level. 
now that we've got these R5 cars coming through their second tier, the guys are already used to driving left-hand drive. Maybe the transition as we go away from production-based cars into this new sort of uh, generation will help sort of the, the step gap. But, um, you know, that's why most of us made a career and did a lot in Asia But because it, it is hard to crack through. You know, probably springing to mind, ACO is probably the only person from Australia and, and Hayden Patton in New Zealand that yeah. made it through, particularly through yeah. to Europe. And even back before that, you know, Possum really struggled to sort of make it through uh, to a full WRC-type campaign, even back then. It was sort of more Asian-based, even with ProDrive and the likes of Subaru back in the day. So, um, like I said, it'd be, it had to be well-funded, and I, I'd be interested to see what the likes of Harry's ultimate plans would be. But at the moment, I know his focus is fully on the Australian Championship. Maybe the exposure going across and doing the WRC. Unfortunately, we won't have WRC here in Australia this year, but to go to New Zealand and maybe hopefully you know, by the end of the season we'll have sort of the opportunity at uh, Rally New South Wales and Coffs Harbour to do the Asia-Pacific Championship sort of decider. So that's where international exposure will start to come through, hopefully for our young guys as well. Always loved watching Neil and Possum in particular take on the world route when they had their WRC cars here in Australia, the only two WRC cars that were sort of in their their championship of their own and, and always loved watching it when... WRC came to Perth and those two guys would be up against the McRae's and the Carlos Sainz and the legends of the sport. And you'd look at the end of the rally and Possum and Neil would be fourth or fifth or fifth and sixth. And, you know, they'd be in the top five in the the Bunnings super special stage and things like that. It was always such a good uh, testament to how strong rallying he was. And then even yourself and Cody and Ed Ordinsky in the the, uh, production days, the group end days as well. And any time the, the world or Asia Pacific would come to Australia, you guys would be a hundred percent right in and amongst them. So it's, it's sort of, it's been a consistent thing over the years that the core of Australian rallying has always been strong enough to compete on a world level, hasn't it? Uh, you're totally right. And I think that's why it's important to try and get WRC and big events in the region, because as you say, you know, I was even chatting to one of the former team managers with us before, and we felt like our group end or production-based car could win anywhere in the world. Yeah, we would have some of the best of the best come across. And I've done podcasts since about, you know, 2004 Rally New Zealand. And you actually forget the list of people back then that were running production level cars, you know, Alistair McRae and, um, you know, Al- Nasser Alatia and um, yeah. Pozo and all these other guys that have sort of went on to sort of forge careers in the WRC. And here we were, you know, battling against them, Crocker myself, Akko, um, New Zealand based guys as well. So, that's probably where I'm going. That was the second tier at the time. It was production-based and we were very strong. And I think anyone in the world went, shivers, you're going to do well to, to knock over the guys in their backyard. That's what I hope this next crop of cars will do potentially. Um, you know, of late when we've had WRC, you know, production-level cars are not really categorised anymore and you'd have to be yeah. in a WRC 2 car. That's what all these new generation R5 cars will bring. So when and if you go and do a rally in Europe or New Zealand, et cetera, you are in the fight, you're in the mix and you get more recognised, et cetera. So I think we've gone through that difficult phase where we sort of fall away from the international and now that we're seeing this great crop of cars coming through and new talent and a new enthusiasm about the the series, that will hopefully resonate to exactly have the storylines you're talking about so we can have the the Bateses and those sorts of yeah. people at SDG wants to do New Zealand and really representing the right way for us. So Sensational. Only been in a rally car twice as a passenger media days. Uh, two of the scariest days I've ever had in my life, Simon Evans driving. I think that's the reason why. <laughs> I, I'm sure of that. I've been on the back of bikes at Phillip Island. I've been in supercars around numerous tracks. 
but there is nothing like being in a rally car and Simon Evans lining up at a tree. Yeah. And you're thinking, that's it. We are dead. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> the car just beautifully goes around it on the right-hand side. And you think, how the hell did he do that? Well, Tony, you are way braver than me because there's no way in high Hades I'll be sitting next to Simon Evans. <laughs> so you are the bravest of the group that's talking to that. Well, yeah. I think the thing that kept me safe was the fact that he was a concreter. So I knew if anything was going to happen, yeah. there was always going to be a hole that I could have been yeah. put in nicely. <laughs> could have just been covered up. Wouldn't have been a problem. Wouldn't uh, have been a problem. Dino, thank you so much for your time, mate. Really do appreciate it. Fantastic to hear, as Richard said earlier, your uh, involvement with the commentary through the seven-mate uh, coverage of the Australian Rally Championship. And let's hope that we can get a full year in this year and may it be a great one. Uh, absolutely, guys. Nice to be on board. Thanks for having us. And, yeah, hopefully it's a cracking year for uh, 2022 for us all. Dean Herridge joining us here on The Grid. There's more great motorsport stories coming next on The Grid. All right, Krause, time to introduce our two guests that are going to help us look at what a big weekend this is going to be at Albert Park over the next uh, few days. Mark Walker, first up. G'day, Mark. Hey, Tony, question without notice. Do you know any commentators who've worked for 7, 9, 10, <laughs> uh, ABC Grandstand, uh, KO Stan, Fox Sports? Not SBS because he clocked SBS many years ago. Yeah. Uh, no, but uh, oh, the other thing I can add to that is I've only actually ever really spoken to one Formula One commentator, and that's Murray Walker. Well. I've, well, I've, never, I, I've never spoken to another F1 commentator before. You, haven't, you still haven't, mate. <laughs> I heard that Richard's Richard's ready for commentating with a Mark because he commentated with Mark Walker 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, true story. <laughs> Those Formula Ford races were preparation. Yeah, yeah it was great on. preparation. Welcome, Mark Walker. Welcome, Dale Rogers, to also help us have a look at what a big Formula One weekend that's going to be down here in Melbourne. G'day, Dale. Hey, Tony, boys. Good to be on. Big weekend coming up. Looking forward to it. Got the band back together, Shebex. Is it the first yeah, time this year we've had all four of us on the on the pod? I well, like we just it. thought that the F1 GP was so was special that you know, mm. the first time in three years that it needed this. Mm. Oh, I agree. No argument for me. Has anyone seen the merch? Are they just wheeling out the 25th anniversary stuff from yeah. 2020 yeah. again? That they, they, put, never got they put use? dates on it. Oh they no! Put, no, they put, did I, they? I, I they did. This, yeah, they did. They did. 753 yeah. days ago. Well, I was sitting there going, gee, I wonder if they could just, oh, no, it's definitely no. March oh, no. 13 to 15. They had a lot of stuff on sale. You could buy uh, the 25th race that never happened. It's 75% off at your local uh, Formula One store. Amazing. Oh, I'm that one gonna... on Spencer Street? Yeah. I've still got the program. That will uh, that will live forever. But, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, amazing. Well, I still hold the record as being the last person to commentate a race at the Australian Grand Prix. On oh, nice. track, nice. Cup. Myself and Matty commentated the only race that was had. It was a good race. The uh, four days, and that was yeah. Carrera Cup. Yep, our fourth and final race of the 2020 season as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, boys, it is going to be a massive weekend, and from what we've seen in the first couple of races, expect the unexpected. Yeah, I, I think so. It, it, I saw an, a funny tweet today. Uh, after the the track map with the four DRS zones uh, involved popped out, someone said, "Well, based on what happened in Saudi Arabia, uh, Charles Leclerc and Max Verstappen will pass each other four thousand times in the Grand Prix because they did a pretty good job of carving each other up at Saudi Arabia at a, a more standard two DRS zone racetrack." So. Yeah, look, F1's in a pretty good place, Dale. We haven't heard your thoughts on it so far this season. Uh, the, the first two Grands Prix have been very entertaining. I think there were 50 on-track passes at the first race and 35 at 
Saudi Arabia. Melbourne traditionally not a, a racetrack which has a proliferation of overtaking, but hopefully the new cars and the revised layout can add to that. Yeah, we did a bit of a uh, you know look at the testing, but uh, as you always say, that you know testing didn't prove much. It did prove that the Ferrari was at least competitive, and that's shown to be. So Ferrari have stepped up brilliantly. Uh, the, the racing was great in Bahrain and Saudi. The good thing is the cars can run quite close. Uh, we've seen that now. The, the obviously the, the, the we're actually back, Richard. You, you'll love this because you're you're an old school Formula One guy. We're now talking ground effects, mm. which is quite extraordinary because these cars used to sit up highly raked at the back. They are now flat as a tack, which is leading to the porpoising, which we've seen. But all of a sudden, the term ground effect is back. And, and I, when we saw these cars roll out and saw the development of them, that term wasn't even used. But uh, they are very akin to the ground effect era uh, uh, without running the skirts. So I think that the, the, the changes they've made there at Albert Park with the four DRS zones, first time ever a track's had four DRS zones, uh, should mean you'll arrive, at, which is now the new Turn 11, which is the old Turn 13, at about a million miles an hour. Mm. So I think there could be some, some – there are three or four really good pass opportunities now. If the cars do what they did in Saudi and Bahrain, I think we're going to have some fantastic uh, racing. Just hope it's close. It, it looks as though it's a Ferrari and Red Bull battle at the moment. Mercedes is a little bit off, but you know, don't underestimate Toto's boys. Uh, the one that I'm really disappointed about is the one that fell off the cliff uh, after some pretty cool testing was McLaren. I mean, they tested well. They did. They ran reliably. The cars were quick. Um, you know, Danny Rick got a bout of, uh, of COVID and, and, and Lando ran 200 laps in one day. But, boy, do they need a result. Uh, they, are, they are really at the back of the midfield at the moment. And they're the fourth best. They should have been the fourth best team in the, in the, um, in the game. So... Now, that's just another couple of quickies for me. Vettel and Schumacher back. Uh, Sebastian Vettel starts his first race for the year, which is pretty bizarre, and uh, Mick Schumacher back after that, that big one. And I guess the midfield, again, is going to be pretty hot. Alpine have stepped up. Alpha Tauri haven't really fired a shot yet. And Alfa Romeo have been pretty good. You know, Valtteri is pounding around pretty well. So I think right through we've got some, some great things. The problem's going to be is where's McLaren going to fall in this in his home race? So just hope we're not watching him pound around in 15th place. This double DRS zones, they're going to have two detection points. So that's going to be a, a bit of a spicy, interesting thing to see how that works out, one at the front, one at the back straight. I tell you what, this change track that they've got for this year's race, you know, we at the race talk went and checked it out when they first sealed it, and it's radically different. It's going to, I think it's going to race really well for Formula One, maybe not so much for the supercars because no. they've sort of taken uh, a couple of the passing opportunities out of there. But for mine, all eyes will be on that turn six because they've opened it up, the apex on the inside. A few of the other apexes have been tweaked and some cambers added in, which should hopefully add to some passing in the tighter corners. But that turn six, they've taken seven metres out of the inside apex. It yeah. is going to be absolutely flat knacker. We've seen some decent potatoes there at that corner in the past when mm. it was a fairly tight corner. Mm. Now you're opening it right up. I remember when I first looked at it with that apex wide open, there's a tree about 150 metres down the road, and I hope they put some padding halfway up it because it is going to be absolutely in the firing line. They've extended the kerb on the left-hand kink out of six. I don't know if they call that seven or what, is, but yeah. they've really put a lot more kerb in there. So the cars are going to be rifling through there really, really quick, and if they have a bit of a wobble, that's going to be on like Donkey Kong. And the other thing, too, I saw one of the forecasts mentioned a possibility of a shower or two Sunday afternoon. You add some water to that back straight when you're doing Mach 1 million down there, <laughs> and 
it's a it's an alleyway. You've got the walls right there. The spray doesn't go anywhere. We've seen that over the years at Albert Park. The spray doesn't go anywhere, and they're going twice as quick as they've ever gone before. So that's going to be really interesting to see if we do get a, a bit of a Melbourne rainstorm, which is something that has been popping up on the radar a little bit these last couple of weeks. You'll be playing pinball with a racing car down in between those concrete barriers, and the, the main straight's got that vibe about it too because they've moved the wall closer to the racetrack because they're widened pit lane as well. Just mm. on turn six, I'm glad you brought that up because I was speaking to Thomas Randall, uh, he of Supercars fame, but who's got probably one of the best driving simulators in the country at Dream Simulations there. And uh, he's, he's been running uh, quite a few S5000 drivers around and his simulation model is extremely accurate and uh, to the fact where he's got within half a tenth of the pole time at Simmons Plains um, on the computer model compared to the real life thing, which he did. Um, and in an S5000 car, which has got no aero and a, a hard compound, real hard compound tyre, they're 45 k's an hour faster through the apex at turn six. He reckons a Formula One car, 80. So wow. it, it stops at being a corner. It's a kink. So it, it's going to be properly quick. The other thing that everyone's really exciting, excited to see is the entry to turn nine, which was turn 11, mm. that fast left-hander, which was always the best corner to watch Formula mm. One cars work in Australia and right up there with some of the best in the sport. You've changed the entry that now because you're not off the throttle from turn six. You're flat the whole way through. In the race, you're going to have DRS assistance there as well. If you're in behind someone, you're going to approach that at 320 k's an hour, turning into a nearly flat left-hand corner and then a right-hand corner that immediately follows it into another DRS zone down into turn 11, which is now, it's not a hairpin, but it's a lot tighter and the apex is a lot more severe than it used to be. So yeah, fundamental changes. And that first practice session, aside from being a massive bit of catharsis for getting us over the last 750 days when we finally get some F1 cars back on the racetrack, but um it's going to be really interesting just to see how the racetrack behaves, and but we're not going to know until Sunday night, really, until we actually get some people carving each other up, which is that, exciting. That turn 11 looks like it should have a give-way sign. It's just like a, a big, hard right-hand turn, isn't it? It's like you have to stop at a T intersection well, it, it's and the put your blinker on. Yeah, if it was a, a city junction, it would be traffic lights, not a give-way yeah, sign. Correct. It? Yeah, yeah. Interesting on the points too. You saw, uh, you know, the two Ferrari guys uh, in front, but yeah, you know, Red Bull suffered enormously in Bahrain with two DNS, and Max is already back to third after that win. So, um, I think the guy who's probably going to have to step it up a bit is uh, Perez. Uh, they need that second car running. Sergio hasn't had a great run. Yeah, they both DNF in um, uh, in in Bahrain, and uh, you know, so and George Russell leading Lewis, which is nice to see, isn't it? After a couple of rounds, but uh, I, I think one of the, the other highlights for the weekend for me is. Uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, Lewis's entry into the pits and what he's going to wear this year. Could be, a, you know, will it be a kangaroo suit? What will it be? What will it well, be? I'll go and stake out a thrift shop down there at St Kilda, and uh, we'll we'll get the inside scoop on what's going on. St Vinnie's, St Vinnie's in St Kilda, some fifteenth fifteenth hand Tommy Hilfiger, you reckon, Mark? Is oh. you'll find some down there in St Kilda. <laughs> Leclerc's our man in the championship at the moment. Twelve points ahead of Science. 20 points ahead of Verstappen. Has he got what it takes to win a championship? Yeah, I think he does. It's his time. The, the most impressive thing about Charles Leclerc for me was his two pole positions he got last year. Um, Baku and at Monaco especially, and Ferrari, that wasn't a particularly good car. 
better than the 2020 car, but he just he drove it so well. I think he's got what it takes. The, what I want to see, Shebex, I, I'd love to see Carlos win his first race this weekend. I, I just think that would be such a good story. And yeah. I think Australia's got a little bit of an affinity with Carlos because of what his dad's done in rallying. And Carlos was a you know a big guy in WRC when it was at its peak here in Australia back in the Perth days. And I, I feel like he's a, a pretty popular guy. So it'd be really cool to see Carlos get a, a maiden Grand Prix victory and make it three winners from three races, which you feel like this season sort of deserves because it's it's been good so far. I think George Russell would be a very popular victory as well. Yep, yep definitely. For sure. sure. Definitely. I think you're right. It's, uh, science is absolutely capable of winning a race. I mean, you'd have to say on, on raw speed, Leclerc is the quicker of the two at the moment, mm. uh, on a, probably over one lap. Uh, but Carl's had a bit of bad luck in races, but you, you've got to be going away. But but on any day, either of those two could, could win. And I agree with you. I think science's time is not far away to be standing on the top step of the podium. Um, and that would be an incre- that would be a really popular win. I mean, I, it, it's sort of looking as though we're going to be uh, painting the town red again because we're talking Ferrari uh, up. And uh, you'd have to say that Max and, and probably uh, Perez are the, the main competition, and we just don't know where Mercedes is going to fall. So... Uh, if Ferrari continue on the way they've been going, uh, Ligon Street should be pumping on Sunday oh. night. Well, it already is pumping up because Carlton's three and zero in the AFL. Ferrari's <laughs> doing well. Fairly good. Ligon Street is a blaze at the moment. It's the sport COVID recovery, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's, sport-led recovery. Yeah. What, what's the correlation graph there between Carlton and Ferrari? I mean, Just that Italians <laughs> follow Carlton. Yeah, well, Italians follow Carlton is Ligon Street Carlton. When was Carlton last competitive, Shebex? Because Ferrari hasn't won a world championship since 2008. And that, that's when Carlton will probably last competitive. Oh, well, it's see, been at least that long. Carlton are 3-0 as we speak. Yeah, there you go. Ferrari are leading the championships. So. I, should have, I should have done numerology tonight, boys. We should have thrown <laughs> should this all to the wall and broken the internet again with uh, motorsport numerology. The only thing I've got to say about it is there's a lot more Italians going to church nowadays than there were before. They're just hoping and praying right. every yep. week that Ferrari and Carlton can keep up this great form. Yep, I like it. Uh, what's going to be a, a tear-up subject, do we think, this weekend or a driver that will cause some some grief? We're, we're missing out on the talents of Nikita Mazepin, so that's a shame. Um, we've got <laughs> Kevin Magnussen in his place. He's done an outstanding job so far this season. He's been fantastic to watch. Exactly. And the Haas genuinely competitive, but four drivers on debut, Latifi and the Williams, Sonoda, who's always exciting for Alpha Tauri, uh, Zhou Guanyu, the Chinese driver, who is in the car that Oscar Piastri, everyone in Australia thinks should be driving. Um, and those alphas have been pretty good so far. Valtteri Bottas has been a giant killer. Oh, yeah. He's been superb and defending Melbourne winner, believe it or not, a thousand days ago. Um, and Mick Schumacher, we get to see Mick Schumacher make his Australian debut, which is pretty exciting. I think Yuki's the one who could uh, be upside down at turn three. He's always pretty exciting. Of all the ones you've just mentioned, he's the one for, he's, I've got my money on. He's, uh, gonna, he's not going to even make the barrier at turn six. He's going to have it at turn three. <laughs> turn three, yeah, yeah. Do a Martin Brundle. Uh, but uh, I, I've got to say, I mean, it's good to see Hasp competitive, isn't it? I mean, they, mm. were, they were well behind Williams last year. To, to have them in there, you know, whether Carl's going to continue with this game or whether it's going to be sold, who knows, but... To have them in the points, great get getting Magnussen back in that car. And, uh, uh, you know, he's sitting eighth in the championship after three rounds. Who would have thought? So, uh, as I said before, it's, it, it's just this battle now in this uh, from after the 
a couple of teams. There's more teams in this battle now than there was last year. Um, unfortunately, McLaren at the moment aren't. Mm, very much so. I'm wondering whether Mick Schumacher is going to try and beat his uncle in regards to uh, great-looking things to do at Turn 3. <laughs> turn 1. Turn 1. Turn 1 it was. Turn sorry, one. yes. Mm, yeah, turn 1. Correct. He wanted, to, he wanted to visit the skybox. Yeah. Well, uh, they, they both had big barriers there, didn't they? Because Michael yeah. rolled his thing at Turn 6. Ah, yep. yeah. Yep, from memory, the, the yeah. Ferrari. So, yep, yep. yeah, the, there's a bit of a track record of Schumacher's uh, not having them. a particularly good run. It would be cool that he gets his first world championship point there, though, because it was a track that Michael went very, very well at. Um, won there in, what, 2001, two, uh, four as well, I think. Just, just look, it up, look it up before the weekend. I'm You're stretching right. all the old memory I'm going to. But um, either way, he was he was pretty good there. So it would be a great story. And Schumacher is another name that I think re- just resonates with motor racing. i just pick up on a point that Mark made before, and I think it's a really good one. Uh, we're talking the track up because I think it is going to be great in Formula 1. That's you know, We've all got that feeling about it. I can't feel the same way about it for supercars, though. <laughs> Yeah, well, turn. I, I reckon if you're watching supercars races, go and plonk yourself down at turn eleven because that's going to be the overtaking yeah, spot. Yeah, and it, it is. It used to be anyway. It was a good spot down there when I was thirteen. I tell you what, I don't mind the penultimate penultimate turn. Uh, what, what number is that these yeah, days? So, yep, maybe thirteen. Uh, because they've put a bit of camber there on it. Like a few mm. of these tight corners, like you look at turn one, turn three, when they say that they've altered it, what they've done, it's like the old cutaway rail at the horse races where they've just cut, they've paved a bit on the inside. So the actual corner, the physics of the corner, the entry and the midpoint of the apex are the same as it used to be, but there's just a wider run on the way in. So you look at the track and there's a point there where mm. there never used to be a point, there used to be a nice big curve. Yeah. So basically... They're giving you more room to play with on the inside if you want to have an absolute bomb dive down the inside, which I don't know if that is necessarily what's going to fix the racing at Albert Park. You know, maybe actually having a tighter corner would have mm. would have changed things up a little bit. But I think that camber at the penultimate turn, they've got a bit of camber down there at turn three too. So if you do have a bit of an over and under going, you can get a little bit more drive and a bit more grip if you take a high line or if you're, you're cutting back across. So hopefully that plays out for the Super V8s. And I think it's going to be interesting. You know, SVG's never won a championship race there in the past and it's been a bit of a, a happy hunting ground for the Mustangs in recent years, although that was a different time and place, wasn't it? You know, it wasn't under the SVG reign of domination at the moment and the current parity situation that we've got except for SVG. It is going to be another case, though, as it has been most years. Qualify well, finish well. Well, in the, supercars, yeah. The, yeah. the thing is, we've got that four 10-minute qualifying sessions again, which very little turnaround between them. Well, I mean, they're sort of split over two days, but, you know, you're only getting one lap there. You're not going to get a second lap. So you need to really be on your game in qualifying to make that work for you. Yeah, very, It'll be very to see what uh, we're talking to F1 times, and you know they're talking up to five seconds a lap quicker, which is just un- unheard of. It'll be interesting to see where the supercars get. They're normally in the one fifty eight, fifty sixes, somewhere around there. It'll be interesting to see how much they can carve out of their times. Well, I, I give you a bit of a guide, and S five thousand and supercars are pretty closely matched on lap speed. S five thousand generally a second or two quicker at a place like Sydney Motorsport Park, where the aero yep. probably doesn't play a massive role. Um, the, the sim that Tom Randall was playing on has them about nine and a half seconds a lap faster. So I I think the supercars will probably be somewhere in the vicinity of six to eight seconds. Wow. A lap so low 50s. Yeah. 
And, yeah. and don't forget, you've got the new track grip as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah they'll, they'll, they're all going to love that. Well, first practice will be terrible because it'll be so filthy and, you know, weeks of construction and everything yeah. going out. But by Friday night, when they roll out for those first two qualifying sessions, they are, oh, Thursday night, sorry, they are going to be loving life because you'll get that peak new grip, new racetrack, billiard table smooth. They'll be interesting sessions. I, I did notice, though, that they're, um, whereas supercars, when the red flag comes out, the clock generally stops or they've got that option to extend the session. That I don't think that's in place for this weekend, just with the varying Formula One commitments on the track schedule. So mm. if you bring out the red in one of these 10-minute sessions, you're not only stuffing it for yourself, but uh, you want to be out of pit lane early and banking your time in those sessions very, very quickly. And another factor too for the races, obviously four short, sharp 100k races for the weekend, uh, split tyre compounds across mm. them all. So that's going to be something that's going to play out a bit of strategy call there because traditionally it was a track with a fair bit of deg, but if you're taking a couple of those uh, harder turns out of there and you've got a new track surface, it probably will look after the softer tyre for a fair bit longer. So it'll be interesting to see how they uh, plan that out across the four races. And I think the way they've split the qualifying is pretty cool too. You've got to use the soft tyres on Thursday for the uh, qualies six and seven, and you've got to use the hard tyre for qualifying in eight and nine. So that, again, at least that could mix it up a bit. And then you've got to use four of each in, in the race. So, um, you know, they're trying to mix the tyre thing up instead of this this where it was a couple of years ago where, where you'd have only people on soft, only people on hards. At least the quality's now really set. So you might see you might see a bit of a mix-up between the two uh, for the second races because uh, some cars are going to perform better on soft than they are on the new hards. The other interesting uh, factor that I'm sure has been taken into consideration is the time of year that we're running, and we're running after daylight savings. And, Mark, you are correct, the BOM, Bureau of Meteorology, saying there's a 40% chance of rain on Sunday afternoon. If we get rain, that means dark clouds. And if you get dark clouds, you're going to get darker than what we normally are from 4.30 onwards. And today in Melbourne, it was fairly dark from 4.30, quarter to five. So we could see the last 15 to 20 minutes of this Formula One race raced in pretty horrendous light. Well, it worked for Scott Pye, didn't it? A couple of years back. (laughs) Yeah, well, so they've got a four-hour window in which they can get the Grand Prix in, right? So the F1 race starts at 3 o'clock. Australian Eastern Standard Time, but sunsets at six o'clock. So that four-hour window is redundant, and ultimately it might be called on account to light. And the funny thing is, this is the first Grand Prix since Brazil last year that has been run in daytime because since then we've run in Qatar, Bahrain, Abu Dhabi, Saudi Arabia, Bahrain again. They've all been running the lights. So the irony of having the first daytime Grand Prix since, what, October last year, it could turn out to being the Twilight Grand Prix, uh, which is what everyone from a TV land wants and no one from Formula One wants because they might not get the full race in. But, yeah, it's, it's a consideration. If it runs oh. green, it'll finish at 4.30. Oh, so yeah, it'll be 4, 4.20 probably. Fastest yeah. Melbourne Grand Prix ever, for yeah, sure. By mile, yeah. Yeah, yeah, could be. Yeah. Uh, on the subject of night races, how many of you guys are booking your tickets to Las Vegas next year? Oh, yeah. uh, already looking. No, I, I spoke to our great friend, uh, Tom Archuli from Doric. Uh, Doric are proud supporters of the race talk, and uh, I, I'm willing to offer them a very competitive deal for 2023 if it includes a junket trip to uh, Vegas for the for the Formula One race. The only problem is that it, it could be the week before the Adelaide 500, so I don't know how we pull up for that, but, yeah, I'm, I'm in. That's going to be amazing. 
Yeah. I've already had a chat to a couple of casinos about doing our podcast live from there. Well, it worked for Colts Bar and Grill in downtown Indianapolis. Massive uh, ratings for them. Uh, they full full venue after that. Oh, look, yeah, every, <laughs> everyone said that it closed down six to, weeks later. Correct, exactly right, exactly right. But outside of that, the internet bill we success. ran up for them was just humendous. <laughs> it broke it. Yeah, uh, they were they were good days. Twenty sixteen. I've never done a podcast quite that drunk before. I'll be brutally yeah. honest with you, but it's quite um, good. it was no, it was good. It was tremendous. It, it was uh, career cup, also another support category. Uh, good to see a Bob Jane T Mark car with a Jane in it. Uh, yeah, Rodney back for the first time. Uh, Twenty fourteen was his last career cup race. Thirty one cars, boys. That's amazing. Yeah. 31 cars. They, there is going to be some stuff going on in that midfield. <laughs> and even uh, Tony Quinn come back Quinny. in 2007. Yep. That's his first start since 2007, uh, which is the longest gap between races in Carrera Cup history. <laughs> That's an official Carrera Cup statistic. Thank you very much. Uh, it's a tremendous field. It really is exciting. Um, yeah. it's, it's going to be a hell of a racing, and that new car is pretty special. Um, it, it's almost... The irony is we're not really going to get a comparo like for like on the new car compared to the old until round three up in Darwin because round two of the championship is at Winton uh, in in late May and Crow Cup hasn't been to Winton since 2014. So uh, until we go to Hidden Valley, we're not going to have an idea of like for like with this new car, but it's pretty special. She's going to be a, a cracking championship this year. And a really good field of S5000s as well. You know, we always knew that they were going to come out of the woodworks for this one and uh, some uh, good names in there that should make it pretty interesting. James Davison back on the grid, which is cool. Uh, he's raced pretty much everything for the last three years. So good to see James back on the grid. Uh, Aaron Cameron, who won the Tasman Series back. Uh, Benny Barguana, Zane Goddard back in the BRM car and four drivers split by three points in the Gold Star battle, which is uh, a tremendous championship at the moment. It would have been nice to see, I reckon, one more category there, wouldn't it? You know, you, yeah. you, you've really it's just got slim. to... It is a bit slim. I, mean, I know that, that I know form, we, we have to fit in the Formula 1 schedule, but the Formula 1 schedule doesn't change very much. And even now, the practice sessions are back to an hour. They used to be 90 minutes. Mm. Um, it's just, I reckon we sort of, it'd be lovely to see another category there, you know, whether it was, um, you know, whether the TCM, TCR, you know, just some. I think something else would have been cool or GTs. Whatever. Yeah. There's but, a lot of a lot of parades and a lot of parades. auxiliary things that don't well, really uh, do which, anything. What we for should us have things. done, Richard, is ended all the MGs in the parade. We could have gone for a drive round. Well, I can bring 25. Oh, I'll just have one, thanks. <laughs> and and the, the lovely track surface, absolutely be ruined. Yes, imagine that. There'd be there'd be oil. There'd be bits of Lucas Electronics all over the joint. It'd be great. Surely there's going to be uh, room for a Hyundai XL Championship race. Oh my at God. Park. <laughs> Should have now, that the week after. Leave it. Leave the walls up for a week. Leave the walls up, yeah, yeah, yeah. And let the Hyundai's take the walls down again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Quick. How to quickly deconstruct your racetrack? Jeez. Uh, hey, uh, we should mention too. Uh, sorry, boys. Winners. Formula One winners. Uh, yeah. Look, I, I, I'm, I'm going to stick with Carlos Sainz. I, I'd love for him to win his first Grand Prix. So my podium for the Australian Grand Prix. Is going to be Sainz, Leclerc, Ferrari 1-2. There you go. Party in Ligon Street on Sunday night. Yee-ha. And I reckon third place will be a surprise for a late race rain shower, perhaps. And I might go Esteban Ocon for that because he's been very good so far this season. Don't. Yeah, I'm going uh, uh, Max, Charles, and I'm going to go 
my mate Sergio is going to get up and finally do a good race. Checko. Excellent. Marco? Uh, look, I just hope sport's the winner. Everyone has a fun yeah, race. Probably. I don't care who wins. It'd be nice to see Lewis do a big skid out the front gate like he did a few years ago. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> that was a beauty. And George Russell for me to take it out. Oh, Mac. Mark's right, though, Shebex. Like, it's just got to be a good race. Yeah, that's like, all. For all, that's all these changes and all the hype and all the build-up, we just don't want a snooze fest. Yeah. Like, I think it was 2018 there was two on-track passes the entire race. Yeah, so right. correct. Hey, just... We should have done a mixed multi for those of you who ever see the front bar here in uh, Victoria. We could <laughs> have done that, Shebex, a mixed multi. We could have. We'll uh, we'll save that for later in the year. We'll do that for Bathurst. Hey, uh, speaking of Bathurst, Bathurst 12-hour TV coverage confirmed. Richard, pretty much Fox Sports and KO have it all until 7 come on board. Race day, 5.15 start. Yep, 5 o'clock broadcast start till 5.30 in the afternoon. 7, mate, it'll be on the Sunday with Fox and KO live and then Fox and KO live on Saturday for support races. There's one extra support category yet to be announced, which will be pretty interesting uh, for those who like that kind of thing. It might not be. Uh, and then, um, yeah, so Fox and K for that building up to the shootout. Uh, early bird entries have closed. It's not the disaster that everybody thinks it's going to be, or a lot of people think it's going to be. Pretty tasty field, more to come. Uh, and some pretty handy little announcements still to come for the Bathurst 12-hour in coming weeks. Watch oh, I, this space. I, I can't believe that you're commentating that as well, Richard. Yep. You're going to be all commentated out. You're going to run out of words by the time you get to that this 12 hour. For two years, you complained about not commentating, and now halfway through this year, he's going to go, oh my God. Impossible to happen. The high tech all is about the six hour to roll out. the week after that, which is going to be uh, pretty spectacular. And, and, and you're going to have to fill for five hours under safety car for that. There were two hours and 46 minutes of safety car in that race last it, year. I am not going to lie to you. Richard, is, is Mark Weber and uh, Clarkson going with you to do the Bathurst six hour as well? No. Do you, know, do you know, Dale, I asked and I said, hey, guys. Come on. <laughs> you wouldn't believe this. We have got this unbelievable race. 70 cars. Yep. Some Suzuki Swifts, little Mazda 3s, Evos. Come on, Mark. You love those. Yep. And do you know what? They just, they were like, oh, no. Do you know what? I have to go back to my Monaco apartment. Yeah. And I just don't understand that. But, look, I respect it. That's fine. It is pretty hard to change airline tickets at the moment. Look, so I is. get it. I yeah. get it. I do Travel. understand it because 97% of the commentators and special comments people out there, they just want to work for one network and that's it. You've got to be diverse, Shebeki. <laughs> <laughs> your, your invoicing department must be out of control. Oh, Who am I sending this one to? Oh, oh, Channel, Channel 10 it. are the only network I work for, but we don't need to go into that. Uh, I'm very, very grateful to the people that I do work for for allowing me to have this little weekend because uh, yeah. it it really is uh, lifelong aspirational yeah. stuff. And we're very proud of you, mate. It's not getting bogged down and all that rubbish. We take Jess, but we're very proud of you, mate. Well done. Yeah, Congratulations. Man. Look forward to hearing you. At the Grand Prix, look forward to seeing everyone at the Australian Grand Prix this weekend. I really hope I don't balls it up, Shebex. You won't. <laughs> you won't. No. You won't. Jeez, just it. another race, You'll mate. Kill it. It's just like a Hyundai XL race at Malala. Jeez, that's pressure. Yeah, that's huge <laughs> pressure. <laughs> you haven't seen Hyundai XLs at Malala. <laughs> no, yeah, good point. See you, boys. Catch you next time. See you. Bye for now. And we'll catch you next time right here on The Grid.